time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 107 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day and we kiss them too. Don't forget, we brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Holly, and what kind of coffee are we brewing today? It's French vanilla. It's French vanilla. Are you ready to sip some coffee and chat? I am. But first, a word from our sponsor. We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubbly Farms. This month, you can receive 30% off if you're a first-time buyer. I'm a long-time subscriber, and my flock love the Healthy Nutritious Treats. Orders $40 and more ship free. If you haven't heard, Grubbly's has a fantastic layer pellet and crumble feed. It's packed with plant and insect protein. It's perfect for those picky chickens and ducks. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot be combined with any other discounts. It's a great time to try Grubbly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code CWTCL30 for 30% off your first purchase. Try it today. So, little disclaimer before we start the episode. We are recording this episode via Zoom. Because I am just getting over COVID, the flu, and pneumonia. That was my Thanksgiving. And now I am sick also with a very bad cold. So it's bad out there right now. And I don't even go anywhere. So All I did was go to the grocery store. I'm 99% sure that's where I picked this up. It was the week of Thanksgiving. You went to the grocery store and you got the trifecta and you were sick for all of Thanksgiving and the week after. And now my family is all sick from some sort of cold of some sort, but everyone's coughing, stuffy, everything. So we have to do this via Zoom, but... We can see each other. We can drink our coffee together and we're going to talk some chickens. So besides the health issues, how are you doing? Okay. It's very difficult. The pneumonia is a really tough one because I've got no wind. I have no lung capacity. I walk out to a coop and I'm out of breath, which is really difficult for me to cope with. That part is uncomfortable. On the other hand, I'm knitting a lot. So (laughs) yeah. So it's kind of like, okay, I now do have the little chicken tree up. I'm starting to decorate for Christmas, but then on the downside, I have no gifts. I have to shop online this year for right now. I'm an online shopper, so I'm actually in pretty good shape. I have breaking news. Clover is squatting, so she will be laying eggs soon. It is very exciting news, and I have finally had someone start laying. Miss Apple Blossom, the Delaware, is now laying. Goodness. I know. That's awesome. Everybody who knows Clover and her story knows this is a miraculous little chicken who made it through against all odds. And even her squad is a little off, but that's okay. Poor Clover. Aw. She comes right over to me. Like, she will run from whatever corner she's in in the run and then come right by my feet and squat. And it's like, okay, that's great. So somebody is laying eggs in the run and not in a box. I would bet that's Clover. I'm like, is Clover already laying or is somebody else kind of rogue laying in the run? Or is Clover going to, I mean, she jumps in and out of it. Is she going to be able to put two and two together and know that she needs to go in a box to lay? I don't know the answer to that right now. Damn, you'll just have to keep an eye on her and see. Yes, but I was so excited. I was like, oh, you're squatting, but it looks strange. That's okay. That's all it's right. It's okay. 
everything she does is a little off and that's all right. Yeah. So since my parents are here, my mom's still recovering. We're not going to be going anywhere. So basically, we're going to make the house a Christmas wonderland. But having a bad cold, I get tired easily right now myself. So it's like a little bit at a time. But it's December. It's the holiday season. And I'm just trying to keep everything upbeat. Yes. As I see you with a huge smile on your face over there. And then I'm like, (laughs) okay. So if you're listening to our show and you're loving it, Head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a written review. It does amazing things for the growth of our show. We love reading these. It makes our day. And while you're there, hit that subscribe button because you never want to miss an episode. And it does. It's another way that we grow and it really does help us. You can also share your favorite episodes on social media. You can tell a chicken loving friend about the podcast. You can check out our Etsy shop. We have new mugs and t-shirts there. You can become a patron of the podcast. Visit patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Check out our levels of membership. And the other thing you can do to help support the podcast is visit our show notes, use our discount codes and affiliate links and buy products from our sponsors. Yay! Hey, Chris. Yeah. Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then yeah. Let me take a minute to tell you about the chicken love box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the mega box. Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with a chicken tea. They are so cute and so soft. In the November box, I absolutely love that glass rooster cutting board and the woven chicken tea towel. I adore those Santa chicken hats and scarves, and I cannot wait to hang those chicken ornaments up on my chicken tree. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order, and shipping is always free. Such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. Use the code CWTCL50 for 50% off your first box of a three-month subscription or more. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals health products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. The Breed Spotlight is brought to you by Murray McMurray Hatchery. Defining quality for generations. For over a century, Murray McMurray Hatchery has remained a trusted family-owned business, working tirelessly to ensure our poultry meet the highest standards. Whether you are an experienced enthusiast or just embarking on the journey, look to McMurray Hatchery for guaranteed quality rare and heritage breeds, low minimums, and all the supplies you need to raise your flock. Request a free catalog today. Let it go, let it go. Let it go to the breed spotlight, yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure, but are we going to get in trouble for copyright infringement? No, I don't think Disney's watching us. So this week's breed spotlight (laughs) is a chicken that you would probably see if you were watching the movie Frozen. Well, it kind of is the frozen chicken, or as our vet Dr. Rebecca calls it, the Santa Claus chicken. This week, we are revisiting the absolutely ridiculously adorable Salmon Favarals. From France. Yeah, they're just the cutest chickens. I've wanted these chickens for years and years and years and years and years. 
The Faverolles chicken was developed in France around the village of Faverolles, which is south of Paris. The yes. village of Houdan is in the same general area. Yes. And we know how I feel about those chickens. Yes, yes. The Faverolles are a heavily feathered, medium-sized chicken that were developed to be a true dual-purpose breed. The farmers were trying to create a breed that was an excellent table bird, plus a good winter layer. What they were trying to do is make sure they had more products to offer at the Paris winter market. And then somewhere in there, they turned into the cutest chicken that you're ever going to see. And the reason I have four of them. Yeah. I don't think you'd even seen them when we did the first breed spotlight two years ago. I don't think I did because I was still trying to do chickens that were local and I knew of some chickens and I wanted to start ordering chickens and I had a little fear of the ordering, you know? So well, yeah, I was trying to like go into different places and say, hey, can you get these breeds? Can you get that breed? But since then, yes, we're salmon favorals over here. We call right. them the fav gang and they are delightful. The Faverolles are now listed in the recovering category of the Livestock Conservancy's conservation priority list. This is as of the 2021-2022 poultry census. I'm raising the roof over here because <laughs> this is one of those chickens that once we put it out there, we had so many people coming back to us. How do I get this chicken? How do I get this chicken? I love this chicken. And this is what bringing awareness to these breeds does a lot of people don't know the breeds. They don't know how to get them. But when you do bring awareness to them, they say, let's get this chicken. It looks fantastic. Well, 13 years ago, the Faverolles were in the critically endangered category. So they've come a long way. Yes, they have. That would have been a travesty to have something happen to this chicken. Oh, I know. It doesn't even bear thinking of that they could have gone extinct. I know. So the Faverolles are a medium-bodied chicken with feathered legs. They have a full muffin beard, a straight comb, white legs, what you can see of them because they're feathered, yeah. and they have five toes. They just have so many extras that you just want to cuddle. I mean, there's so many different things all together, along with the color of their feathers, that just makes them look like the quintessential winter chicken. And they, they look like they're ready for winter all year round. In the salmon Faverolles, the hens are this beautiful mix of salmon, brown, and cream-shaded feathers. The roosters, they have what I like to call black beard ear. You'll know you have a boy if you have one if you start seeing that beard come in black. Yeah, their beard and then like their whole front is black as well. They look very different from the hens, but I think they're just as cute. Oh yeah, for sure. Now, this is a little bit, I want to see what you have to say on this. The American Poultry Association Standard of Perfection puts their ideal weights at eight pounds for roosters and five and a half pounds for hens. Mine is smaller. What about yours? Mine are maybe four point something to five pounds. So mine are under the weight. They're very well fed and taken care of. Their body frames are smaller. So mm -hmm. there may have been something in the genetics and the breeding over the years that have slowly made this chicken a smaller chicken, which would make it less of a dual purpose, more of just a backyard egg laying chicken. Right. And it's good to know this because when you're looking for chickens and you're doing breed research for your own homestead, for your own backyard, size matters. A pound or two, one way or another, can change a decision on your spacing. Right. My four and your croissant are very little. 
Croissant is very small. I mean, she's not bantam small. And and by the way, the Favreaux do come as a bantam. She's not oh quite that small, but I would say she's somewhere in the four and a half pound range. Yeah, that's where I think mine are too. And you know, that's a big difference from five and a half, one pound, along with the body shape and the bone shaping being smaller, a smaller mm-hmm. frame on this chicken is the most important thing. When you're planning out your flock, you want to know how much space you need for each chicken. When you see these numbers, five and a half plus, you're thinking big, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. they're not quite as big, which is also good to know. So the French farmers and breeders were working on the Favreaux. They started like in the 1850s, 1860s, and they worked on the breed up through the 1890s. Among the foundation breeds, the Houdan, the Brahma, and the Dorking. It's also possible there were other Asiatics in there, but most contemporary sources, like around 1900, were talking about the light Brahmas as the foundation breed. So I think that's probably accurate. And the Dorking is the chicken that gave them the fifth toe. Dorkings are another one of those overlooked breeds. We're, we're going to have to revisit the Dorking at some point. But yeah, so from the Dorking, we got the fifth toe. Now, during their first few decades of breeding, there was a lot of variety in appearance of the Favreaux, as you can imagine. The Houdan supplied the muffin beard. Okay. The Brahma passed along the feathered legs and feet. I can see that. In the Salmons, the male's coloring is another gift from the Dorking. Right. But the hen salmon color is unique, and it is only found in the salmon favorals. So it's a, a mix of those genetics that gives this chicken a unique color, which will completely remind you of a winter wonderland. The color of them is beautiful, the creams and the light browns that all mix together, and a little bit of black here and there on the females. They look so gorgeous with their coloring. I feel like most people, when you say Favreaux, they think salmon Favreaux, you know, with good reason. Right. Now, the British Favreaux Society notes that a lot of the French farmers, when they were working with the Favreaux early on, essentially what they were trying to develop is a breed that was not only a good dual purpose breed, but one that tolerated confinement or caging. That's a definite boo-hiss moment. We don't want any birds to tolerate confinement or want to be caged. They have to be able to live their life. But the Semifabrols did get their running, which we talk about all the time, via the Brahmas. They run like football players. You know it when you see it. You will watch it constantly and you won't want to stop watching it. My neighbors come over just to watch the Favreaux run. And they tell me so much that the Semifabrols are their favorite chicken in the flock. Right down to the way they run, to their personalities, the life of the flock. They're the dearest little chickens they are. Now, in the 1890s, the Favreaux arrived in the UK, and they quickly became a favorite breed there. And most of the people who were working with them in the UK were not caging them. I mean, they were using them as a dual-purpose homestead breed, or they were breeding them for showing. Right. According to Lewis Wright, breeders in the UK were really struggling for a while with the straight comb because the standard of perfection calls for a straight comb. With the Brahma and the Houdan genetics, combs were apparently showing up in lots of interesting forms. Oh, man. Yeah, well, I mean, think about it. The Brahma has a P-comb, the Houdan has a V-comb, and the Dorking does have a straight comb, but it's a big comb. So you're trying to come up with this moderate-sized straight comb. Three of mine, well, Ivy, one of the babies, has the biggest comb. Clover and Angelica have medium-sized combs. And Eliza basically has a little Brahma. She barely has a comb. 
That's croissant so as have, well. So you're, you're kind of like, what am I going to get? It's like a surprise. You know, none of our birds are show quality. We weren't interested in show quality. We just wanted, you know, Favreau's for our backyard flock. We wanted, you know, beloved pets. And exactly. that's what we got. So the Favreaux's arrived in the U.S. in the early 1900s. They were imported by Dr. Phelps, and I could not find his first name. Dr. Phelps is from New York, Glens Falls, he, New York. Is he related to Michael Phelps, who's oh, known for our area? The funny thing there was, I didn't even think about Michael Phelps. All I kept thinking about was Mission Impossible, <laughs> Mr. Phelps. Anyway, so I, I did some research to see if I could find anything about Dr. Phelps. He started showing up in the early poultry journals. So Dr. Phelps placed an ad in the 1904 poultry journal, and he was advertising his Favreaux's. He said they were imported directly from England and France by himself. That was one of his selling points. Dr. Phelps also bred Lakenvelders, and he occasionally had articles published in some of those poultry journals of the time. Cool. This little tidbit was interesting to me. He mentioned the salmon with several other Favreaux's colors that were once available in the U.S. You don't think about Favreaux's in any other color right now except for the salmon. That's it. No, but back then you could get them in ermine. Black. Red. Spangle. And blue. Now, I'm going to explain the ermine pattern. In the Favreaux's, the ermine pattern is essentially the same pattern as the light Brahma. So picture a Favreaux's in the Colombian pattern, but they have a big white beard and muff. In a couple minutes, we're going to talk about the UK colors, and you're probably going to find a photo of the ermine. While you're looking, I'll just say that the salmon color was admitted to the American Poultry Association Standard of Perfection in 1914, and then the white were admitted much later. So the white Favreaux's were admitted in 1981. Oh my gosh. Right? So let's just go back. So the, the British Favreaux Society, they do have more colors of Favreaux available in the UK. Okay, so let's go through those colors that are available. It's black, blue, buff, cuckoo, white, and ermine. Okay, the ermine, I'm looking at a picture right now, is a light Brahma that looks like a Favreaux. It's smaller than a light Brahma, obviously. Light Brahmas are very large. It looks like a smaller light Brahma with a big white beard. I think they're it adorable. It looks like you took a Favreaux and a Brahma and you went like pushed them together and you got this chick. It's yeah. like equal qualities of both. So it just goes to show you how even color variations can change the chicken's look. So you put this color variation of the Colombian, which is so well known to the Brahma, and you put it on a Favreaux's. Where your mind goes, even when I see some Sussex with a Colombian pattern, my mind instantly goes to Brahma. We're going to have the British Favreaux Society linked in the show notes so you can go look at all of the yeah. different colors of Favreaux. But check out the cuckoo Favreaux. Let me pull them up here. Oh, wow. It does look like a Moran's and a Favreaux. <laughs> With a big beard, yeah. They're really interesting to see in a color pattern other than the salmon. It's, it's fascinating. So here's my question. Could I fool Drusilla and Anastasia <laughs> if I got a cuckoo Favreaux and put her in with them? Would they think that this chicken is a Moran's? No. Chickens are smart. They know. As soon they as know. she would run, they would be like, what world are you from? You're not a Moran's. And that run that we're talking about, the football player run, they drop their head. Yes. And they just drive forward. It's hilarious. Like they're not even looking. Like they could yeah, just bump just in the stuff. Head. They don't even care. Once you meet a salmon Favreaux, and I, I always say salmon because that's what I have, 
They're so endearing. They're so different. I think that the Simon Feverals here in the U.S. have really become beloved of the pet chicken keeper, the backyard chicken lady or chicken man. But there's one thing we forget about them, and that is that they're actually pretty good layers. They are pretty good layers. I will say this. Their eggs are on the smaller side. And yeah, that could are. be because their body condition over the years has changed to scale down a little bit. I've read in a couple of places that that's pretty normal for the Favreaux's in their first year to lay a smaller egg. And then in subsequent years, the eggs will get a little bigger. So we'll have to see in the spring because Eliza that- and Angelica, my two first salmon Favreaux's, are not laying right now. They right. just went through their fall molt. They're on break. They were and, last um, year's babies. And so in the yeah. spring, we'll see how the, all the older Favreaux's do. We'll see. Like you said, eggs are light brown to cream. Sometimes there's a pink, a little bit of a pink bloom on some yeah. of them. Favreaux's hens will occasionally go broody. Both of mine went broody multiple times this year. Most of the reports I saw said that when they go broody, they're pretty easy to break. Did you find that? No. So Eliza and Angelica both went broody. Eliza is more prone to it. She went broody first. Okay. And basically, I had to keep doing things that we do, put the ice pack in the nest boxes, pull her out multiple times a day, make sure she eats. And then Angelica went. But when it happened for them, not in spring, but when the temperatures got really warm and the worst time to go broody because you don't want anybody in the coop, that's when they went broody. So I'm hoping this year, I don't have four. We do have different breeders for both sets. So I'm hoping the second two don't have the broody, but two of mine do. Well, here's what we can say about them. They are personality plus. They're sweet and docile. They are, but they're also very active and alert. You know, they always know what's going on around them. And we both love this. They're very, very chatty. They have a lot to say. Yes. Everybody talks about they're going to get taken in a flock. So they have to go in a pretty docile flock, which is the absolute truth. I must have gotten the one chicken that's a Favreau's that decides she's going to be queen bee of everyone. And in Angelica, she rules the quiet, laid-back girl flock. She's the queen. She's not really laid-back. If you follow us on social media, on Instagram, we have put up reels of her just walking around like nobody mess with me. Well, let's say you had put her into a flock with really, really strong personalities. She would have ended up getting picked on, probably. Yeah. I think where they blossom and where we do a really good job is picking our chickens for our flocks that have all like personalities because then the true personality of each chicken can come out. So in a docile breed like the Favreaux's, that chicken should never go with the Morans. And I'm sure there's situations where they're out there, where they're with Mm -hmm. wine dots, where they're with Morans and they work perfectly. But keeping the docile breeds together lets a chicken like Angelica shine through as a leader where in a different flock she would not right so pretty docile has to be an easygoing flock that they're going into they are very cold hardy but they do not like the heat at all in fact i've had to bring angelica and eliza in and put them under fans multiple really hot days here in the mid-atlantic we get super humid super hot i worry about them so i bring them in and put them under a fan they're definitely not heat tolerant I would say it's even more important to make sure that they're not being picked on because if they're in a flock where they're being chased or harassed or bullied in hot weather, that could spell really bad news for a chicken. 
Yeah. When we talk about cold hardy and heat tolerant, chickens tend to deal worse with heat. So if you have a chicken that's not heat tolerant, it's going to be really bad. You really need to keep an eye on them. I even bring fans out to the runs. We both do this and put fans on them during the day and really watch them because heat stroke in a chicken can happen in a matter of minutes. And oh, yeah. One minute you're out there, they're fine. And the next they're not. Yeah. So this is a breed that is awesome in the winter. They have lots and lots of layers of feathers, but in the summer, those feathers go against them and make them really warm. In closing, the other really nice thing about the Faberals is that they have been good show chickens since like the early 1900s. Because they're cute as anything. Is that why the French in the beginning were trying to breed them for confinement? Because sometimes show chickens... I think it really was about they were trying to push their farm sales to a more industrial commercial level. I I really think that, that, you know, they wanted supplies to sell at the Paris winter market. I just love the fact that the English scooped them up and took them to the UK. And, you know, they really became favorites there. They became favorites here. You know, if you look at those very early poultry journals, the ads are pushing them as broilers. I could never see that in a million years. And that never took off here in the U.S. You know, that went in a different direction here. So this particular breed does not fit industrial standards at all. Exactly. So we go to where can we find them? McMurray Hatchery definitely has salmon faverols. You can find them at pretty much any commercial hatchery. You can often find them in local feed stores now because they've become so popular. If you need to have them shipped to you, the Murray McMurray lines are fantastic. They are. Okay, so show us your pictures, especially if you have more of the unique colors. And if not, those salmons are our favorite. If you send them to us or tag us, we can give you a story. We both love it when those pictures come through. If you're looking for a chicken coop that's produced in a planet-friendly, sustainable way, try Nestera. Each coop is made from highly durable, 100% recycled plastic that keeps the equivalent of up to 2,000 shampoo bottles out of a landfill. Their clean, modern design will fit into any garden or run area and comes with an industry-beating 25-year warranty and a range of handy accessories. Simple to put together, so quick and easy to clean, and most importantly, red mite resistant. Your chickens will love it. Quick shipping from Amazon.com or Nestera.us. Use our code CWTCLP10 for 10% off. Check them out today. Roosties proudly sponsors Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you're raising chicks or keeping chickens, take a look at Roosties' store on Amazon.com. We've personally tested their products and we're huge fans. They have their famous nesting pads, those fantastic chick water and feeder kits, do-it-yourself port feeder kits, water or nipple, and water or cup kits. And you don't even need to drive to the stores. They're all available for prime delivery on Amazon.com. Visit Amazon.com and check out the Roosties range or follow the link in our show notes. Okay, so let's move on to main topic. Yeah. Yeah. So this week's main topic is going to be the do's and don'ts of winter chicken care. Right. We're going to be in the thick of it from now till the end of February, basically. Right now, if you're on, say, various chicken Facebook groups or you're looking at Instagram accounts, everyone is filled with advice for how you keep your chickens in winter. And the the thing we want to get across right here is that the key to successfully navigating your flock through a rough winter is developing your own system. 
the do's and don'ts we give you are going to be prefaced by you need to pay attention to your own setup and figure out what does and does not work for you. Yeah. Know your coop, know your run situation and do what you need to do to secure your setup to make it the warmest environment for your chickens. So the first thing we said is do know if your coop is full. And what we mean by that is know the capacity of your coop. For instance, one of my big Amish built coops is not even a third full. What that means is that some of the smaller bodied chickens in there get very cold. The Egyptian Fayumi specifically. Right. And so I do have two radiant heat panels in there for the coldest nights. If I had those same chickens in a much smaller coop, it would probably be warmer. Right. And what I have is a smaller setup. And no, if your chickens are all on one roost and they're together pretty tightly, and if you have a mixture of small body and bigger body chickens, the smaller bodies get in between the bigger bodies and that helps warm them. If you have a smaller, more full coop of chickens, they're going to keep themselves warm a little bit easier than a super large coop with less chickens. Now, with each of those, you still want to pay attention because if you have a bird that's shivering continuously, that's a bird who's not thriving. That's a bird who's on the brink of hypothermia. Shivering is your body contracting your muscles to try to warm it up. And if you have a bird that's continually shivering, they're too cold. Right. So this is where we go. And we always say you have to have your makeshift area where you can bring a chicken in that is safe for them with a panel heater and warm them up. Pop up with a panel heater works perfectly. It's a really good thing to do. Okay. So the next thing, do make sure your birds have access to shelter at all times. This includes shelter from cold wind as well as precipitation. So if you have a coop on stilts, you have that under the coop area for them to go under. It's kind of built in. That's why every coop I have has that. I love it. They can go under there to stay dry. And we do tarps in the winter. That breaks the wind. Even if you do one side, you're going to break the wind and give them a whole corner. You can give them an area to get away from the wind. Exactly right. They need shelter from the elements. And the cold wind in the winter can do a lot of damage, especially with an elderly chicken. I would love it if they would, when it's freezing, want to go in and stay in the coop and get out of the wind. Because we have Amish Bell coops here. We have the Nestera. They can go in there and they can get out of the wind. They don't like to do that. They like to stay out. They want to keep doing their thing. So sometimes tarping around one side, two sides, now you still want to have very good ventilation coming through there, can help break the wind enough so they can stay out and do their normal thing and have a little less wind in their run. Right. Do make sure that you have enough dry or sturdy substrate to keep your feather-footed birds out of the mud and the muck. Frozen mud or muddy feet that freeze can lead to frostbite for those birds. I put a reel up the other day and someone asked, what's your substrate on your run? A few days ago, you remember we had like a whole day of rain the entire day. And when that happens, sometimes it gets muddy because of the wood chips. They let some of the water kind of puddle up. So we have pine shavings that we put down to cover that mud, that muck. It gives them a softer place to be walking. And if the ground's frozen, think of if you had your hand on that ground or a bare foot on that ground. It's cold, it's frozen. So pine shavings on the ground can definitely help keep them a little bit more comfortable. I also use the pine shavings um, after it has snowed 
Just put them oh. right on top of the snow and ice. It gives the birds yeah. a drier place to walk. It protects their feet. And you know, I love those feather-footed people. And it's, again, it's especially important for them. Do know if you have birds in your flock that need help keeping warm, these include elderly, senior chickens, true bantams, special needs chickens, small body or Mediterranean breeds that you're going to need some additional help with heating. And we always recommend safe panel heaters, no heat lamps. Heat lamps are a fire hazard. They were used for a long time by a lot of people, but they are a fire hazard. So we have new technology. The panel heaters are safe. Do have something to plug it into in case you lose power, just so that you can keep that heat going. Right. The thing with the radiant panel heaters is if you do lose power, they don't instantly go from like 80 degrees to 20 degrees because they're usually keeping your coop at about 30 degrees Fahrenheit. So if you lose power, the acclimation is not this instant thing. It will gradually cool off and your bird's respiratory system will handle it just fine. That is the thing with the panel heaters. The panel heaters are not making it warm and cozy in the coop. They're bringing it above freezing to where the chickens are comfortable, but it doesn't change the temperature in the air a ton. Where a heat lamp, that light bulb can get up to like 500 degrees. If a speck of dust, if a feather, if a bird bumps into it, it can easily spark a fire. The panel heater, they're safe to put down in the pine shavings. You have a rechargeable battery battery station so that you can plug it in. That's always a good idea to have too. And evaluate your own chickens and see is somebody having trouble staying warm that's your own personal decision whether you do it or not but it's important to do it the safe way well just because your homesteading neighbors say that chickens haven't had heat for thousands of years and they've been fine number one it doesn't mean that they're taking excellent care of their chickens number two just because the race of chickens has survived does not mean they've been comfortable or healthy or pain-free definitely Okay, do give out scratch grains and healthy snacks in the afternoons or early evenings. I like to give out kale, corn with red pepper flakes and dried oatmeal in the afternoons. Mm -hmm. All the big mixture. And I don't know, you give kind of on the same lines, correct? Yeah, I'll do kale or right now I still have a whole bunch of radish greens in my garden. So the whole thing here is that you want them to eat their balanced, healthy food for most of the day. You want them to be eating their chicken ration. In the afternoon, you can give them healthy fruits and veg. Oatmeal is a great carbohydrate for keeping them warm at night. Same with the scratch grains. I recently saw an article. It was being passed around some online chicken groups. It maintained that the average Rhode Island red hen can handle temperatures from 15 degree Fahrenheit to 25 degree Fahrenheit without any extra food. And I come back to the same thing. She can handle it, but that doesn't mean she's comfortable. That doesn't mean it's good for her. Chickens eat more in the winter. It's kind of a proven fact. What heats their body and makes them a little heater is the act of processing and metabolizing food. So you have to keep the food going. You'll notice in the winter that you will start to feed a little bit more food. I've already noticed that I'm buying more feed quicker because it's colder. They're going to eat more so that they stay warm. Feeding food throughout the day from the morning till the afternoon 
They get everything they need with nutrients. And then in the early evening, late afternoon, giving the snacks at that point. So when they go into roost, their body will be working to break that down and that will keep them warm overnight. Oatmeal works wonderfully for them. And it's just a great thing. Scratch grains are great. Corn is great in the winter. The other thing I wanted to add to this is do keep your chicken at a healthy weight going into winter. It's proven that when you have a little bit more body mass, you're going to keep yourself a little bit warm rather than being underweight. Right, exactly. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I've never seen an obese chicken. We've said this multiple times on multiple I've, episodes. I've never seen an overweight chicken ever in my life. No, I've had some well-padded hens. The vet would pick them up and say, this girl is a good weight. Right. Vets always say they want a little more padding on a bird than for them to be underweight. An underweight individual has a hard time maintaining their body heat. For sure. So the suet cakes that we say give in the fall, they're good. They have some good fats in them that the chickens can use. It is kind of a proven thing. You want them to be a good weight through the winter. The other thing is if they get sick, they need a little bit of that extra. So keeping them at a nice, healthy weight is really important. Get ready to go into the winter time. Okay, this one is super important. Do not let your water freeze. No. Your birds need to be drinking a lot of water, and that does not change the winter. They need to continue drinking. It's not a big deal if the water freezes while they're inside overnight, but when they come out in the morning, you need to have unfrozen water waiting for them. Yeah. And, you know, we've done multiple, I think, retail therapies on special bowls that you can plug in. Keeping your bowl not touching the ground, which is frozen, is also a good thing. I have a setup where I use an old big tire and I put the tire in and then I put bricks in and then I insulated the tire and then I put the bowl inside because what that does is it helps insulate that bowl so it's not on the frozen ground in the winter. There's different hacks, which we've seen out there, putting a ping pong ball in it so that it's constantly moving. That works if the wind's really blowing. If you're below 32 degrees, if it's that cold, your water's going to freeze. Yeah. The only thing that helped me is to buy the big plug-in bowls that keep it just above freezing. Like heated dog bowls. Correct. Right. Those work wonderfully. We've been saying it all fall, get them now, because if it's going to be a cold winter, when you go to get them, they will be sold out. The other thing I will do, again, this is not going to keep the water from freezing during the day if it's super cold, but they're easier to manage. A lot of my water bowls are the black rubber livestock dishes. All of them. Two reasons. All of them. The first reason is that they're flexible and so they're easy to get ice out of in the morning. The other reason is because they're black and they absorb and hold heat. If you have metal water dishes, they will freeze and they will freeze fast. My little white enamel dish that's in the big run that all the girls go to first. That's the only dish that isn't a black rubber livestock bowl. That thing freezes instantly. So yes, you don't want that water to freeze. Okay, so another don't that we always put out there for the winter is don't forget about predators. So the winter and then into the early spring, like late winter, early spring, this becomes very important because you have a lot of animals that have babies and they are searching very hard to feed their babies and you do not want your poultry to be on the menu. If you're in an area where normal birds that these predators sometimes feed on or squirrels or groundhogs, they're not there 
the predators are looking and they're hungrier and there's less food available for them. So right. having the chickens in while you're not out there is the way to go having them in their run. So you're not worried about that and reinforcing the run in the fall and early winter to make sure there is no way in for these animals is a good idea. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And really, our next don't kind of piggybacks. And we'll explain that in a sec. Don't forget about avian flu. Number one, you don't want to forget about it because you want to be prepared, not scared, as we always say. But also because you might not want to free range your flock if there are avian flu outbreaks in your area. And that also helps protect them from predators. Let's all think about this. In the winter, the grass is dead and the bugs, if they're out there, are super deep because they're not going to be up near the surface. When the chickens go out, there's not much for them to do. Yes, they're going to get some exercise that way. But let's play the pros and cons here. If you're near any waterway, creek, pond, anything where there's geese, there's migratory flyaways, keeping the birds in and under is the way to go. Do the things to keep your birds safe. Keep avian flu in the back of your mind. Don't let it scare you and rule everything, but be aware of it. Right. And as you pointed out, by far the largest carrier of avian flu all across the world is waterfowl, especially ducks, but some of the others can carry it too. So not free ranging is really a big thing for the winter. It doesn't give them much. It's going to give them a risk of picking up avian flu. Do practice good biosecurity, especially making sure you don't wear your coop shoes anyplace else. For sure. Make sure you're not wearing your coop shoes to the feed feed store store. and then back into your own run. So yeah, you want to be careful about that. Our last don't is one that is a personal preference of ours because both Holly Ann and I have had chickens who were victims of this. So we put it out there as a don't. Don't use straw in your runs or your coops. Chickens like to eat it, and it's the number one thing that gets impacted in their crop. Oh, yeah. There are some misconceptions out there about straw, that it keeps hot air in between the straw. Those things are myths. And straw is something that they like to eat. It's long and fibrous. And Holly Ann has said this before. How long does it last before it breaks down? You had a number. Yeah, because straw is a bast fiber. It's made of incredibly strong cellulose chains. It can take well over 100 years for straw to break down. And that's in the crop. And if they ball it up, it's not going to be able to move. And we each had a chicken be a victim of this. They each had two crop surgeries. Each were in critical condition. So it goes down as our last don't because we've learned from our experience. And all it takes is one chicken out of however many you have to eat that straw. And it becomes a huge headache. So what you need to ask yourself there is, so if you're using straw and it's been going great, that's fine. You know, more power to you. If you've only been using straw for a little bit of time, you have to decide whether it's a risk you want to take. Because even if you have been keeping chickens for, say, 10 years and they've been on straw, you could still have a hen decide to eat straw. I guess you need to decide whether your individual hens are important enough to you that you want to minimize this risk. And then we say, what is a second option for someone then? We're going to give you a second option. And it's pine shavings. Pine shavings are very thin. We all have junk eaters that go around the run. They want the pine shavings. They want to eat them. We talked to Dr. Rebecca about this. Pine shavings are different consistency, different altogether. They break down very easily. They're able to pass them through. 
you can lay down pine shavings anywhere that you would put straw you mm. can put tons of it down if you need to and it does if you build it up in your coop it does insulate it even more you can put it on muddy substrate in the run we both do it and it works very well the other thing i don't like about straw and this is me talking as a lifelong farm girl straw molds easily it will hold mold and moisture pretty easily and that can harbor all kinds of bacteria as well and so if you're I putting it in your coop they're going in the bathroom in that straw right mold will start very right. quickly right so, i feel like the pine shavings do a better job of absorbing and keeping the litter drier it is a personal preference for us we put it out there as a don't because we've learned and been burned so if we can put it out there and you can benefit from our burn please do if you have any questions or concerns or you want to just give us one that we didn't say dm us email us we would love to hear from you we would love to take any of your questions we're here to help y'all okay so let's move on to Cracking the eggs. Cracking those eggs. We're doing gingerbread cake because it's December and it's the Christmas month, the holiday month of the year. And because so it's so good. It's delicious. And why not? We're liking to do the, some of these recipes that you're going to make for the holiday table or to take with you to someone's house as a hostess offering to the dinner. Right. And gingerbread cake is one that's on the list. There is a different older recipe in Dining with the Washingtons. You've heard us talk about this book many times. We love it. We both own it. And that's an older version that Martha used. This is a more modern version. And let's talk about it. So one of the things I like about this recipe is you can use it in a few different ways. You can make two smaller eight-inch cake layers if you want a small layer cake. Okay. You can make one big layer if you had a taller, say, nine-inch round, and you wanted to make a single layer, you could go that way. The other thing that makes amazing cupcakes. Generally, wow. when I make this into cupcakes, I have a hard time getting them out of the house because Pete wants them all. So it's also another one of those super easy recipes. You're, you're going to need two bowls. You're going to need a big bowl for your dry ingredients and a smaller bowl for your wet. You blend them individually and then blend them together, put them in the pan and bake. It's that easy. Okay, so let's go through ingredients here. We have two cups of flour. And so if you're gluten-free, you're going to use one-to-one -one of gluten-free flour. A half a cup packed brown sugar. Two teaspoons of baking powder. One and a half teaspoons of ginger. One teaspoon of cinnamon. A half a teaspoon of nutmeg. So we have all those really rich fall, winter, Christmas seasonings in this. And a pinch of salt. And a teaspoon of baking soda. Right. Baking soda and baking powder help things rise. And we're double whammying the rise factor with the soda and the powder. Because gingerbread on its own can be heavy. Yeah. So this gives it a chance to, to get some nice volume to it and keep the cake a little lighter. And then the wet ingredients, again, super easy. You've got a third of a cup of applesauce, half of a cup of vegetable oil, half a cup of non-dairy milk or regular milk. I use oat milk. That's my go-to these days. And then half a cup of molasses. And then your two eggs. You're going to whisk together your dry ingredients in a large mixing bowl. And the reason you do this, I always have to stop myself when I start making these different recipes because I'm like, which bowl needs to be the biggest? I always forget. So you're generally going to be adding wet ingredients into dry with some. And some you're going to be like when you do cookies and stuff and you do your butter mixture, then you add the yep. dry into the wet. 
So with this, the large, you're going to be whisking in the wet ingredients to the dry. So start with your larger bowl for your dry ingredients. Yeah, like you said, if you're creaming butter and sugar first, I always do the same thing. I'll start to put something in one bowl. Have to stop myself. This is more along the lines of a quick bread because the leavening is so different. So this smells absolutely amazing when you're baking. Oh, yeah. Your whole house has that good holiday smell. And then you can serve it as is. You can serve it with whipped cream. What I usually do is a, I call it a fake buttercream because it's like shortening and powdered right. sugar and add a little bit of really good quality cinnamon to it. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. I mean, you could do this without the icing, with the icing, with powdered sugar, any different way, with a cup of coffee, talking chickens with your bestie. And this is one that you can take very easily. Someplace if you're going and we're in that time of the year where everyone's going to everybody else's houses. So, you know, it's a good one to have in your pocket so you can make it quickly. So you're going to bake it at 350 for about how long? So it depends on your different sizes. So if you're doing the cupcakes, that's going to be like between 15 and 18 minutes, depending on how hot your oven runs. If you're doing the cake layers, probably like 22 to 25 minutes. But if you're doing one big layer, I would give it about 35. Use the old golden rule, set the timer for a little sooner. Yeah. And then use your handy dandy cake tester. I have multiple of them and check it and then reset it for a short amount of time. That way you don't burn. Try it for the holidays. You could decorate it. Do some fun stuff with it. Send us your pictures. We would love to see them and we hope you like it. The other way I like to serve this and it's absolutely ridiculously delicious is with dark chocolate, whether it's a dark chocolate drizzle or a dark chocolate frosting. It goes so well with the ginger. Could do a mocha, like a coffee kind of icing, also chocolate, coffee kind of thing. I never thought about that. That'd be interesting to try. Or a peppermint, like a peppermint icing with the gingerbread might kind of be seasonal too. Do you think peppermint would go with the whole molassesy taste? It pairs with a lot of really nice things. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to retail therapy. Retail, retail therapy. therapy. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so this week on Retail Therapy, we want to take a look at gifts for your chicken lady if she likes to read. Guilty. Holly Ann's hard to buy books for, though, because she gets them all. I do. I think the only one I got for you that you hadn't gotten yet was Drinking with Chickens. I probably wouldn't have bought that one for myself. And you gave me the American Cake book that I absolutely love. When I saw the cake book with the history of each cake, I'm like, oh, yeah, this has Holly Ann written all over it. Absolutely. So what we want to do is just look at a few books that we think would be good gifts for the chicken lady in your life. Yes. So there's a new book that just came out recently by a UK author. Her name is Sally Coulthard, C-O-U-L-T-H-A-R-D. And it will have links to all these in the show notes or just a link to our Amazon storefront because they'll all be linked there as well. Easy to find for you. Yeah. So Sally is a writer for the UK Country Life magazine. And she's written a couple of other interesting rural history and rural lifestyle books. She wrote a really, really good one on the history of sheep. So this one is Foul Play, A History of the Chicken from Dinosaur to Dinner Plate. And I wasn't sure what to expect, so I cracked it open. I love her writing. She's writing in a very clear and easy-to-read way, but this is meticulously researched. It includes endnotes, so, you know, she has all of her sources listed It's really, really a fascinating look at the overall history of chickens. I will give a little warning that there is a big chapter on fighting birds. 
that unfortunately is part of their history. Exactly. I mean, we can only learn from those things and go on and hopefully people never do it again. Well, you know, if you're writing, like, like I said, this is a big overarching history. And if you're writing that, you can't ignore that huge section of, of history. It's well worth the read if you like just, you know, rural subjects. If you enjoy the chicken history, definitely check it out. Like I said, the writing style is very accessible. And she has a fantastic bibliography of sources. So that's my number one pick this Christmas for the chicken man or lady who has everything. I'm going to go a little bit off a book, but it's still a book. On Amazon, you can find adult coloring books. Yeah. And you can find them with chickens. And everyone talks about therapy for being anxious and not having a good day. Coloring for all ages has been proven to relax you as you do it. And you create something that you can frame and put up or display somewhere or just sit back and chill and do these coloring pages. And there's some hen books out there. And that would be awesome to sit with the chickens when it's nicer to color and just take a 20 minute break and relax. Adult coloring had a real moment like five or six years ago. I was still a librarian then. It was really popular. You and I found four or five adult coloring books that are chicken themed. One is only roosters. And I think the others are are pairs of both. There's one (laughs) called Heavenly Hens. Heavenly Hens. I like it. So you know it's going to be hens. It's not expensive. And you know what? It's one of these things that sometimes you do not buy for yourself. Right. And if you get as a gift, you would be more willing to sit down and color with your children. Or if you don't have children, just take a break with a coffee and sit there, disconnect and do something artsy. I was thinking this would be amazing if you've had, say, a stressful work week. Yeah. Give yourself half an hour, 40 minutes and a glass of wine or your favorite adult beverage. Sit down and color. It sounds really nice to me. It's actually a great creative outlet. For sure. Our next book, it's a little older. This is the Illustrated Encyclopedia of Chickens by Gail Damereaux. Now, the price tag is pretty good. It's it's well under $20. That's because it's a slightly older book, but that's okay. Yeah, I think you can get a paperback right now around $12. It's a nice price point, and it's a cool book. It's very good for people just getting into chickens because it's got, you know, lists of terminology and anatomy. It explains some various health problems and concerns. It's chock full of information that could be really, really helpful to someone just starting their chicken journey. It can be entertaining. It has some chicken trivia. I like looking at a book sometimes that has some illustrations in there to help. I'm one of these people that I put the words with the illustrations together. It helps me with the book sometimes. So yeah, it's a pretty book. You're going to get some good basic information and it's $11.99. It's a great gift for the chicken lady. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to bring back a book that we've talked about a few times. We've given it away. We're going to talk about Genie Keys and Click With Your Chick, one of our all-time favorite books, and especially as a gift for a chicken lady. This talks about training your chicken and it gives you so much useful advice. And Jeannie's just amazing anyway. So if you haven't experienced clicker training any other animal, you can carry that right over to your chickens. It's really a fantastic resource if you're looking to get into training your chickens, even just to come when you call their name. Exactly. It's a really cool book. We both own it. We both love it. And Jeannie was on the show way back in the beginning, I think episode nine, maybe somewhere around there. Yeah, somewhere around there. And she loves chickens and she loves to train them. And that's an awesome gift for your chicken lady friend or family member. 
Perfect. If you're a fan of cooking or chefs, Jacques Pepin, a lot of people know him because he used to have a PBS show with Julia Child. Jacques Pepin has a new book called The Art of the Chicken. One disclaimer, he does actually have a lot of recipes for cooking chicken. So if you do that, if you're, you know, if you're looking for that sort of thing, it'll be a great book. But he has some of his paintings, some stories. Um, he does these watercolor portraits that are beautiful. It's a book that's all about appreciation of the chicken. And the art of the chicken. One of the pictures he has in there that I love is the body of the chicken is a cabbage. He takes that imaginary <laughs> look at the chicken and he does another portrait of a chicken and it's a bunch of fruit is the body of the chicken. So I love that one. Yeah. Sometimes you just have five, 10 minutes to look through something. You don't want to be truly involved in a story. This is one of those books where you can sit back and appreciate the artwork. And like Holly said, if you're a foodie, then the recipes you may be interested in. It's his own love letter to the chicken. Again, be forewarned that there are recipes for cooking chicken meat, but he does it with deep appreciation. And that's not the whole book. There are a lot of other things in there to appreciate. Yeah. So we're going to end with our last recommendation for The Chicken Lady. This is one that we both own. We both love. I bought it for you. We mentioned it a little bit earlier. And it's Drinking with Chickens. This is a book of photography from Kate Richards. We have an interview way back in the beginning with her. We love her. And the book has some amazing adult cocktail recipes that we have tried multiple times. And we have sat out and had these drinks with our chickens. It's a book that you're going to love to just sit and look at and then make the drink and drink the drink while you're looking at the book. You could color in your chicken coloring book while you're drinking the drink. I would like that. Exactly. After you look up the drink cocktails. We did a few years ago, the eggnog, which was, oh my God, so delicious. And, you know, some of the other drinks too. Yeah. It's a must to have in your chicken book collection or library. Okay. So should we tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Well, next week is our annual Christmas episode. And as everyone knows, we've been grounded by illness. So we're going to do a really, really fun thing. We're going to do some Italian-themed Christmas stuff that does tie to chickens. Our breed, we're going to spotlight an Italian chicken, the Bianca de Saluza. Oh, yeah. Our main topic, we're keeping it light and fun. We're going to talk about the benefits of keeping backyard chickens. Some of these are going to surprise you. Most of them are going to make you feel great cracking the eggs we're going to give some recipes for italian christmas cookies oh yeah yummy and because this is our holiday episode we're just throwing retail therapy out the window because we're going to have a little bit of fun and we're going to talk about some great italian christmas traditions so much fun so what should we tell everybody to do until next week hug your chickens every day and kiss them too we'll talk to you next week bye 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 if you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.